Jesus, Bible, and current events from a Christian perspective. Battling spiritual wickedness in high places, one podcast at a time. This is the High Places Podcast. Hello everyone, this is Jim. Uh, Just uh, getting caught up on some things. Wow, there's been a lot going on in the last X number of days. It seems like I say that every time now. Uh, the world is a busy place. Uh, a lot more, uh, campaign news. I guess, uh, William Weld, former governor of Massachusetts, is, uh, has announced that he's gonna run for the Republican nominee for president. Um, so, yeah, Republicans will finally have a little, uh, excitement going. I would think he would get a lot of press, cause he's kind of a liberal guy from a, um, kind of a social standpoint. Conservative, uh, economically, I guess he balanced the budget in Massachusetts and cut taxes and did a whole bunch of other stuff. And, uh, it was, uh, I had pretty good trick when a Republican can get elected governor in Massachusetts. And so, yeah, I remember, um, in 2016, he was the vice presidential nominee for the Libertarian Party with uh, Gary Johnson, I guess he's former governor in New Mexico. Um, on the top of that ticket, I remember seeing them w- watching some videos of, of of some of their events, and Gary Johnson, um, I think he had, uh, I think he's, he admits that he used to smoke marijuana. I think there's maybe some residual effects from that. But the impression I always got is that William Weld was always sitting there when they were together, kind of just you know, smiling and just kind of being the adult in the room while, you know, Gary went on and said different things. Um, so yeah, but now he's, uh, he's running for the Republican, uh, nomination. So yeah, well, at least it'll be, uh, uh, maybe entertaining, maybe, uh, some challenge, uh, there for the president. I don't know. I guess we'll just have to see how that goes. Um, did any more Democrats join the race this last week? Seems like they're always joining the race. Um, yeah. Uh, what did they had? Uh, the Democrats are, um, releasing their tax returns though. So, um, uh, uh, Bernie, Bernie's a millionaire now. Yeah. It's funny. Someone put together a, uh, video of some of Bernie's speeches that he used to give about, you know, the system was rigged for millionaires and billionaires. And he, he'd use that line a lot. Uh, but then he became a millionaire. And so he kind of dropped the millionaire line <laughs> and said the system's rig- rigged for billionaires. Um, and so <laughs> Bernie's part of the 1% now. I, I don't know. Is he going to yell at himself? I don't know what he's going to do with that. And then... Um, <laughs> Poor Beto O'Rourke. Wow, talk about um, getting left at the altar. Everybody was really excited about him like a month or so ago, and now they've moved on to Mayor Pete, and um, and Beto's just kind of hanging out there. And then he, <laughs> there was an article about his tax return. Beto's kind of a cheapskate. He's not giving a lot of money to charity. Um uh, <laughs> Him and his wife are worth over half a billion dollars, but just, just on, you know, he's earning like over $300,000 a year. Um, and so, but they, uh, he's given, I'm reading an article here. Uh, they have all these numbers. Um, 
he typically gives less than 1% of his total income. Uh, what was it? Uh, 2017, he made a little over $366,000, and he gave $1,166 to charity, 0.3%. Wow. I guess uh, Kirsten Gillibrand last year, 2018, she made 217000 and gave 3750 1.7%. <laughs> let's see. Let's go back to beta. I got some more numbers here. He uh, averaged between he averaged a little over 340,000 a year between 2008 and uh, 2017. But he averaged just $2430 to charity. 0.7%. Huh. I guess uh, uh, people were giving Joe Biden a hard time because uh, I guess in 2011 he only gave, you know, one and a half percent and they were, you know, calling him a cheapskate. Well, now Joe is looking uh, downright generous. It's like Joe and Mother Teresa uh, compared to some of these other people. I mean, wow. Um, I guess, it, yeah, 2016, typical American who made between two hundred and two hundred fifty thousand a year gave fifty four hundred dollars, two percent. So all these people running for president are a bunch of cheapskates. Um, so they really do want to spend other people's money because you know I, I never understood this why they want to like you know send the money to the federal government so that it can supposedly send it back out and redistribute it. But, I mean, why do people like buying things wholesale so they can cut out the middleman? And these guys, they want, well, they don't want to give up their own. I mean, they could just give money to people that, you know, all the people they say need help and all this other stuff. Just give them some money. If you give them a dollar, um, then they get a dollar. But if you give a dollar to the federal government and then the federal government gives them a dollar, the federal government's only going to give them like 40 cents because <laughs> you got all the overhead um, and all this other stuff. And so, yeah, why don't you just, but boy, they're just, they're not giving any money. So, I don't know. I'm trying to find a ray of hope in here somewhere. I'm trying to find a good number. Uh, his most generous year, we're back to Beto again. I'm just, I'm trying to bail you out, Beto. Um, close to the national average of 2 and 5%. 2013 was his best year, um, 12900 so 4.3% on earnings of 300000 See, the less he makes, the more he gives. Isn't that the way it goes? People who don't have much money are the ones giving all the money. These rich people, they just run for office and tell you how they're going to spend somebody else's money. <laughs> wow. And then uh, Nancy Pelosi, I'm always impressed that she's... Um, you know, people make fun of her because sometimes she can get flustered. Um, but she's 79 years old. <laughs> I'm not nearly that old, and I get flustered all the time. Um, but as she was given some interview. I'm trying to see who she was talking to. Um, but she was talking about, you know, the uh, Marxist wing of the Democrat Party. I know I'm going to have to be more specific. Um, the young Marxist wing of the Democrat Party. Um, 
uh, about is she's telling them, you know, hey, you got to play it down the middle of the road. And yeah, it was easy for you to get elected because you're in like solidly democratic districts. And she said, I love this quote. She was talking about, uh, I'll let you uh, decide for yourself which new young freshman representative she may have been talking about. And uh, Pelosi said, quote, this glass of water would win with a D next to its name in those districts, end quote. <laughs> Outstanding. So, wow. So maybe um, maybe in uh, one of the boroughs of New York, somebody will run a glass of water uh, for a nominee for Congress in a couple of years. That'd be funny. You can see the t-shirts. Um, yard signs. <laughs> wow. Um, but she's, but she went on the rest of the interview. I don't know what this was. Was this like a think tank or something? It looks like it. Um, it was really funny because, um, she talked about, you know, you have to have this middle of the road position in order to win. And, and she said, you know, um, because other people are in districts where it's really close. And so, you know, you have to you know, stay in the middle so that people don't get scared. Um, but then she said, and then when we win the White House and Congress, then, you know, we can, we can do these other things. Um, was it, uh, yeah, single payer, Green New Deal. Um, I'm trying to find the line in this article. You've excused me for pausing. I'm looking through these uh, articles and scan, uh, scanning this stuff. Um, she's tempered her expectations on what she can achieve. Um, yeah. Oh, here it is. Um, she called for, quote, a message that appeals to people in a way that doesn't menace them, uh, that really does address their concerns, end quote. Yeah, sounds very good. But then she says, quote, when we win and have the White House and we have that, then we can expand our exuberance to some other things. <laughs> um, huh. So it's like, tell them what they want to hear to get elected. And then once you're elected, then you can do all these crazy things. Once we have Congress in the White House, you know, if we come across as moderates, during the election, then once we get in power, blah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> then we can do all the crazy stuff you're talking about. Wow. So that's fun. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's all just a thing. Um, it's just, it's all just games. It's so many games. Um, I'm trying to find, so yeah, so the politics of it's going to be, there's only a couple months away until the first debates. Can you believe that? Man, that is nutty. Um, and Bernie had his, I don't know if you saw this, he had some town hall on um, Fox News, I guess. I don't watch Fox News because they're always using foul language on Fox News. Um, and they're just a mouthpiece for the Republican Party anyway. Um, but I saw a video of a segment where the host, you know, asked people, and this was in Pennsylvania, so I'm sure the geography didn't, uh, um, you know, miss people. That's a, that was one of the states that swung the other direction in 2016. 
And so they're in Pennsylvania, and the host, you know, asked people who has insurance through their employer. And like all these people raised their hand. And then he said, okay, how many of you uh, people that have that uh, would like to have Medicare for all? And like the same number of people raised their hands. They started cheering and all the hooting and hollering. And man, so socialized medicine is on the way. Huh. Get ready for those wait times. Um, but Bernie, I guess they also talked to him. Was this the same town hall thing? I think it was. Talking to him about abortion. Uh, let's see. He was asked, with regard to abortion, do you believe that a woman should be able to terminate a pregnancy up until the moment of birth? And he responded, and I said, look, I think that happens very, very rarely, and I think that this is being made into a political issue. But at the end of the day, I believe that the decision over abortion belongs to a woman and her physician, not the federal government, not the state government, not the local government, end quote. So, uh, happens very, very rarely. Okay, um, how many children do you have to kill because, before it becomes something important? Hmm. Um, yeah, I, they're fighting these, like, heartbeat bills. I don't know if you're old enough to remember the um, pro-life uh, uh, groups used to say, you know, they had posters and billboards said, you know, abortion stops a beating heart. And so... Um, it's funny because I'm old enough to remember when the whole argument in favor of abortion was, well, we don't really know when life begins and da 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 But now we have all this evidence. You have heartbeats, you have ultrasounds. Um, was it like one major news magazine, I can't remember if it was Time or Life or something, a number of years ago had pictures of a child in the womb developing. And they were, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a political message. The guy just wanted, you know, to take these pictures and show people um, what's going on. And it's like, I mean, it was astonishing at very young uh, ages. You can see fingers, eyes, all this stuff. And then there's DNA. And so the DNA of an unborn child is different than the DNA of her mother and father. So uh, even from a legal standpoint, DNA is how you identify, how our legal system identifies a unique individual. And so now it's the, they've abandoned the whole, well, we don't know when a baby is a human. And now it's like, yeah, you can kill your kid right until the moment that she's born, or even a few minutes after, <laughs> if you and your doctor talk about it for a little bit. It's like, wow, how incredibly selfish is this culture? That it's like, if you're inconvenienced by another person, you can kill them. Um, and they're going after the old people, too, with all this assisted suicide. And they'll just, um, I actually know somebody, somebody who um, there is an issue with an aging relative. And some parts of the family seem to care about the aging relative. And other parts seem to care about the money. Uh, that the aging relative has. I <laughs> uh, hope she didn't give them power of attorney. Um, wow. I mean, it's just like, oh, so yeah. Uh, and Bernie doesn't like Christians either. I think we talked before about, you know, at some Senate hearing, um, 
that some nominee, he just, you know, he didn't, Bernie didn't think that anyone who believes the Bible should hold um, a government job. So Bernie might be the next president. So, um, yeah, millionaire Bernie um, <laughs> won't let Christians work for the government and he'll be out there killing kids. So, okay. Um, I'm clicking around. Um, so where is the other, oh, I'll get to that in a second. Um, so yeah, that's enough political stuff. Yikes. Um, I also saw this, um, so it's Easter, it's Holy Week, uh, Palm Sunday we had on uh, Sunday. And, um, so you get the Easter stories and things like that now. There was a, uh, I guess there was a poll released uh, Sunday, Palm Sunday, BBC Radio. Um, only 46% of Christians, UK, United Kingdom, uh, only 46% of UK Christians believe Jesus died and resurrected. <laughs> it's kind of the fundamental point there. Um, huh. And some of these numbers, the end is... Yeah, the U, these are just people. So again, you know, uh, Richard Dawkins uh, considers himself a quote-unquote Christian, cultural Christian, um, and so you always get these horrifying numbers out of the UK. Um, of the Christians in the UK who actually go to church, eighty-two um, percent said they believe uh, the Easter story is true. So that's you know, again, looking for that uh, silver lining. Um, but <laughs> um, there was another poll done back in, I guess it was released in 2017. Um, and it talked about, yeah, just 17% of the general public believe word for word the Bible account of the resurrection, only 17%. Um, and of people who describe themselves as Christians, um, yeah, there was another, oh, it talked about, oh, yeah, 57% um, of active Christians. So these are Christians who go to church at least once a month. Um, they don't believe that, they don't believe that the Bible is accurate. Um, so, they, yeah, just over half, so 57% of regular churchgoers in the UK um, took the Bible at its word. So they believed the Bible. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. It, it, even like one in ten non-religious people um, believe parts of the Easter story. <laughs> They're not even religious. Um, I Yeah. There's, you can just read this stuff time and time again. The UK just astonishes me because you think about the history there and all the great evangelists and preachers uh, that came out of there. And it's like, wow, wow. And so, um, uh, well, and we're heading, uh, the United States is heading down the same path. And you look at the percentage, Barna always has these things on uh, American Christendom. And, uh, yeah, I think it's 9% of the population, um, actually believes the basic tenets of the Bible in the United States, 9%. Um, and, uh, 
And then there was this. This was on this was on a CNN article, and they talked because you notice how Hollywood or people who generally don't like God always release uh, quote unquote uh, Christian movies or Bible movies around Christmas and Easter. <laughs> um, and I always wonder who their audience is because these things are almost always blasphemous. So a real Christian isn't going to want to go see it, uh, I would like to think. Um, and the uh, non-religious, uh, why are they going to go watch it? And so this is these are for the tares, I guess, that are among the wheat, those who call themselves Christian, cultural Christians. I guess it's for them um, so that the devil can, you know, give them more and more excuses uh, and examples of not taking the Bible uh, literally, uh, taking God at his word. Um, and so they talked to Joaquin Phoenix, I guess played Jesus at oh, the movies, uh, Mary Magdalene. And so they uh, interviewed him. And this movie sounds absolutely hideous. I'll read you some of this because it just gets worse and worse the more you read. Um, and so... He's, uh, they're talking to him about, you know, what he did for the role and all this and, um, you know, grew his hair and, you know, did all this other stuff. Um, but here I'll just quote you from the article. Near the beginning of Mary Magdalene, which opened Friday in the United States, so this is this a week ago, right before Palm Sunday, um, the script called for Jesus to heal a blind woman by rubbing mud in her eyes, um, an echo of John's, an echo of John's gospel. It's a blind man in the Bible. So, the, so they're acknowledging up front that they're doing a Jesus movie and changing what the Bible says. So right there, you have. Isn't there something in Revelation about um, all the curses in this book will uh, happen to those who you know add anything or take anything away from God's word? Anyway, um, so. Now they're quoting Joaquin Phoenix. I have to be careful here because, oh, you'll see in a second. Um, quote, I knew about that scene from the Bible, but, but I guess I had never really considered it. End quote. Phoenix told CNN in a recent interview. Okay, be careful. Here we go. Quote, when I got there, I thought, I'm not going to rub dirt in her eyes. Who the F would do that? It doesn't make any sense. That is a horrible introduction to seeing, end quote. So, one would think that if one has the opportunity to play Jesus in a movie, that maybe something positive would rub off on them. One would think that. One would hope that. Because, talk about God giving a person an opportunity to learn about Jesus. But instead, it seems time and time again, um, not everyone, but a whole bunch of people <laughs> who played Jesus don't seem to have anything good to say about him afterward. And you'd think there'd be some slight obligation to kind of watch how you behave a little bit after that. Um, but who is it, that uh, nativity movie? A number of years ago, and the young lady who played uh, Mary 
um, like just like couple years after that was released, one or two years after that released, uh, got pregnant outside of marriage. It's like, don't you, I mean, really, you don't, you don't think that, <laughs> I mean, this, you gain nothing from this experience. Okay. Anyway. Um, and so I'm going to go on with this article. So, wow. Um, dude, seriously. <laughs> Um, yeah. Anyway, um, I'm back to the article. In Mary Magdalene Phoenix decided to go with his gut, licking a mudless thumb and gently rubbing the woman's eyes. Quote, it freed me up in some ways to discover what is truthful in the moment. <laughs> if you're making stuff up, it isn't true. Okay. Back to his quote. That moment is not so much about a real miracle. It's about someone who has been dismissed by society, finally being seen, embraced, and encouraged to join the broader community. To me, that is a miracle. There's something profoundly beautiful about that sentiment. End quote. But not about God giving sight back to a blind person. There's nothing beautiful about that. There's nothing beautiful about the faith of the person that trusted Jesus to help them. So this is the secularization of God's word. And then you wonder why there's so many people who call themselves Christians that live by the world and live by the world's priorities and values and reject what the Bible has to say. But I can go on. Um... <laughs> Uh, this article is just really something. Uh, that humanistic message, I agree there. This is a humanist message. That humanist, humanistic message captures the essence of Mary Magdalene, a film that aims for historic fidelity in some respects. Boy, miss the target. Uh, but whose emotional and intellectual currents are radically contemporary. Yes, I agree. Um, because the goal is to please man and not God, uh, the goal of the people that make these things. Spiritual, but not religious film. The filmmaker's aim was to rescue the title character, telling Jesus' story from a feminine and feminist point of view. Hmm. Emb <laughs> embodied by a lith and luminous Runa Mara, that's the lady who played Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is portrayed as a spiritual seeker and kindred soul to Jesus. Their bond perplexes and irks the other apostles, particularly Peter, who seeks to marginalize Mary. <laughs> Misogynist. Um, in that and other respects, Mary Magdalene seems to draw inspiration from both the Me Too movement and the, oh, I'm not even going to, and they talk about some book that claims to be the gospel of Mary, but it's, oh, anyway. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find the quote from the director, um, because, wow, um, let me see here. Yeah, the director, Garth Davis, uh, let's see, who drew on a claim 
for his first feature film, Lion, and uh, said he felt disconnected from church while growing up in Australia. Well, if you don't believe the Bible, anyway, like a growing number of Westerners, his spiritual life lay outside of organized religion. Another theme prevalent in Mary Magdalene. Quote, I didn't want to make a religious film. End quote. Congratulations, you succeeded. Davis told CNN in an interview, quote, I wanted to make a spiritual film, end quote. And, yeah, in one pivotal scene, Mary strongly suggests that the apostles have clouded Jesus' message with their own. The coming kingdom that Jesus preaches is not something that we can see with our eyes, she tells Peter. It is the contentment of a soul that has renounced resentment and anger that grows with every act of love and care. Quote, it's not a place you can get there and stay forever. End quote. You will not surely die. It's the same lie. It's the same lie. Calling into, this is straight out of Genesis chapter 3. Calling into question God's word. Mary strongly suggests that the apostles have clouded Jesus' message with their own. And then, it's not a place that you can get there and stay forever. You will not surely die. See how the devil works? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's amazing. Um, and people are paying money to, to, have, to be propagandized. I noticed that they mostly uh, release this overseas. Um, in South America, um, where there's and um, like Spain and Italy and Portugal, so Catholic populations, um, and a little bit in Eastern Europe, Poland again Catholic. Um, so, I I mean, wow, it's just I guess she has a line in here. I will not be silent. Mary says, I will be heard. This is just this is so. This is radically contemporary. And so it's a rewriting of the Bible, and it's a rewriting of the gospel, and it's putting God's word into doubt. And I, I mean, it's it's just, yeah. And then you wonder why you have the numbers we were talking about earlier from the UK and the stuff we see in the United States. This is, this is a concerted effort uh, by the enemy and his children in this world to discredit God, um, to make uh, Christianity about um, the individual, individual and what they want and the priorities of society rather than the salvation that comes from Jesus. The devil doesn't, the devil doesn't mind if, you know, people pursue equality or demand to be heard or do nice things every now and again, um, whether they donate a lot of money to charity or not. Um, he just doesn't want them to repent and believe in Jesus. Because people like convincing themselves that they can earn their way to heaven. Yeah. And so it got me thinking about um, why are people doing this? I mean, 
again, you always see these movies and things come out like at Christmas and Easter. They really just have this extraordinary dislike for God. And it's like, I, I mean, especially at Easter, Jesus who lived a perfect life, who never did anything wrong, died anyway for us, took the punishment that God had ready for us, and he took it himself. And he conquered death. Shouldn't everybody be cheering this? And he offers the same thing to us. We can be freed from eternal death, eternal punishment, conscious torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a glorious thing. And instead, people go out of their way to just bash Jesus. So a couple of verses came to mind. It was funny in uh, John chapter 7. And I just, this is why it's good to read the Bible every day, because you, you see new things uh, each time. The Holy Spirit just kind of, you know, feeds us thing at the, things at the pace we can take them, and we learn new things. Um, it was interesting because this was the situation where the Feast of Tabernacles was coming up, and the Jews had already tried to kill Jesus, the Jewish religious leaders. Um, and so, you know, Jesus wasn't going to, you know, make a big to-do about going up to Jerusalem. Um, but his brothers were giving him a hard time. Um, John chapter 7, uh, let's see, starting in verse 3. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. So you notice, the brothers know the the, the miracles that Jesus was doing. Verse 4, For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Here it is in verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Wow. Can you imagine? I mean, it's bad enough when the religious leaders who are supposed to know the scriptures and know all the things that the Tanakh said about the Messiah, they don't believe him. His brothers who saw the miracles that he did, they didn't believe him. Praise God that some of them believed him after he rose again. So, fantastic. That's interesting. Verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. Man, even after his brothers being mean to him, he's like, hey, you know what? I'm here. You can, you can believe any time. My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. And then in verse 7, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. And that's it. People don't care that Jesus died for them and rose again. They want to keep doing the wicked things that they're doing. And as soon as you tell someone that Jesus died to save them, that's offensive to someone who doesn't think they have anything to be saved from. In uh, John chapter 12, since we just had Palm Sunday, Jesus came into Jerusalem and uh, some Greeks uh, wanted to talk to him after he uh, made his triumphal entry. 
and he talked to people and talked about, you know, he was going to, he was going to die. He was going to be lifted up, crucified. And, um, people were asking him about that. And, uh, you know, hey, the Christ is supposed to abide forever. And they didn't understand. And uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of Jews today that don't understand. The Messiah came first to save our souls. And then he'll come again to set up his kingdom. But Jesus' response is uh, just amazing. Uh, Starting in verse 35 of John 12. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed, and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Hmm. You have 2,000 years of history. You have scripture. You have billions of people that have been saved. Jesus promises that he'll reveal himself to people. Um, But people would rather walk in the darkness, even though there's light available. Because they love their sin so much. They've been so blinded. And um, God just turns them over to their sin. If this is how they're going to go. But it's like groping around in a dark cave. And there's a flashlight just at the end of your reach. And you just don't grab it. And you can never find your way out. And you're stuck in the darkness forever. And so, uh, unlike the uh, lady in this uh, movie that uh, said, you know, this isn't a place you can go to. Um, It is a place. It is a place. And people who die in their sins, they're going to go to a place. And it's going to be very dark and very bad. And it's going to be that way forever. And they are going to be there forever. And how much of that time will they spend thinking about all the time they had where they could have grabbed a hold of the light? And because they didn't, now they're in darkness forever. Hmm. The devil is busy, busy. Man. Anyway, keep praying. Keep praying for people. Um, You hope that something wakes them up. Um, But it's amazing how um, 
more and more aggressive people are uh, against Jesus, um, who died to save them. But thankfully, he's very, very merciful. And he's still there. The light is still here. As long as you're in this life, you still have an opportunity to be part of the light. So come out from the darkness. Anyway, thanks everyone. Feel free to write us, podcast at jesusforsinners.com. Have a good week. Have a good holy week. Think about everything that Jesus did for us. And if you don't know him as your savior yet, uh, hurry up, because time's running out. Take care, everyone. God bless. Good night.